Here we go. You are listening to Rumination Thursday on this August the 27th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. It's a law and gospel program. And with me on the line is our good friend and co-host, Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. And we're going to be continuing with what we had talked about recently, namely worship nightmares. I got this idea from watching a program called Kitchen Nightmares, where a chef goes into restaurants that are failing and shows why they are failing and tries to fix them. Worship nightmares, the nightmare is really on behalf of God and the angels as they see certain worship services misusing the word of God. And we've looked at uh, hymns that do not focus on Jesus Christ and also give the impression that uh, homosexuality is a gift from God. Uh, We've taken a look at the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, parts of the liturgy, uh, confession and sermons, And right now, we have taken a look at what I call worship nightmares that are commissioned, namely things that are done that make it a nightmare. Today, we're going to talk about a worship nightmare that's not commissioned, but is not done. And that is discipline in the church. Hmm. How is it that you look at it as not a commission because churches that aren't doing discipline unless they openly say so, it's kind of an an open sore there, is it not? Yeah, good point to make that um, we have a number of volumes uh, dealing with our hymnody, explanation of the hymns, explanation of the authors, There's another Lutheran service book. Uh, It's called The Agenda. And I am using it this Sunday to install officers of one of the congregations that I'm serving. And I didn't have this book. It's uh, kind of a one that just came out in 2006. And so it's got a lot of information in it all about... um, Uh, pastoral care, holy matrimony, Christian burial, holy ministry, and then, of course, rights for ecclesiastical survivors. uh, I'm sorry, supervisors. And basically what it does, it has forms of worship services. Now, I had the old agenda, but this has two services in it or two parts of the service that I was really surprised to see. One is called excommunication from the Holy Christian Church, and the other is called restoration to the Holy Christian Church. Can you help our listeners understand what excommunication is? Well, excommunication... Uh, has well, it's rooted in very many parts of scriptures. 
For instance, in, in John 20, at, after his resurrection, he appears to the disciples in a room and he says, whosoever sins you give, forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. That's one passage in Matthew 18, which talks about if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. Take take back witnesses. If not, tell the church. And if that doesn't do it, then, then they are removed. So it, excommunication is a, is a right, R-I-T-E, by which the church publicly would exclude some some uh, member because of an unrepentant sin. In, in Corinthians, it was a, a stepson son that was having a, an illicit affair with his his uh, stepmother. Yes, and they they took him. But in Second Corinthians. He repented and was restored. Right. That, that goes to the reinstatement or that you're, you're talking about as the second part of, of the whole uh, thing. How do we bring them back into the fold once they've repented of their sins? Excommunication is an act of love. Uh, for example, can you imagine a parent who has a child that is going around the house and when he gets angry, he breaks things. Or when he's at school, he's stealing from other children. And the parent says, no, I love him. I do not want to discipline him because he'll get angry at me. Can, can you imagine that occurring? <laughs> right. Or or the other one that's that's out there is a doctor comes and sees how, how ill his patient is and he can give to them the medicine. Is he out of love going to say, no, I'm not going to give him the medicine? Yes, because he doesn't want to upset them when they hear their illness. And so right. rather than upset them, he refuses to heal them. And excommunication this is a, it's only one page long, and it actually is done in the worship service, this rite, R-I-T-E. And they say it's normally done just before the confession and absolution. And I want to read a part of it here because it really helps you to understand. We'll pretend that the person who's being excommunicated We'll use the name Tom. I was thinking of Wes, but no, we'll stay with Tom. <laughs> okay. All righty. Beloved in the Lord, Christ our Lord says in the gospel according to St. John, and that's what you quoted, Wes, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you return the sins of any, they are retained. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I, and this is the pastor speaking, must make known to you that our fellow member, Tom, has by continued impenitence despised his baptism. He was under church discipline and although repeatedly admonished from the word of God, has refused to repent. Following the direction of our Lord in the gospel, according to St. Matthew, I and other members of this congregation have pleaded repeatedly with him to receive Christ's forgiveness won for him on the cross, but to no avail. 
Finally, Tom refuses also to hear the church. In order to show the seriousness of his impenitence and as a last effort to win him back to our Lord, I announce that Tom is now excommunicated from the Holy Christian Church. Until he repents, Tom may not come to this or any other Christian altar for the Lord's Supper. He also is not permitted to serve as a sponsor at Holy Baptism, nor engage in any other rites or privileges of the church except to hear the preaching of God's word. May Almighty God mercifully grant him grace to confess his sin so that he might receive the Lord's forgiveness and be restored to communion with God in his church. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And at that point then, the congregation goes into the repentance of their sins and they hear the absolution from the pastor. Hmm. Now, I, I never used this right because I was unaware it even existed. Uh, I don't think it appeared in the old agenda. The, the new one, the one that you're referring to, is where it came up, and I think they put it in. I mean, I have an old pastor's companion that announces excommunication. Yes. And announces reinstatement, but... Uh, uh, I've, you know, running across what you did, the RITE, right in the new agenda, is uh, something that they've included, and I think is well done. Yes, it's done in the worship service. In the congregation I was at for 28 years, we excommunicated at least six individuals. Um, four of them later repented. One of them died, and one of them I don't know what happened to. Uh, just left mm. the church, of course. But this is very important. Excommunication means that specifically they're not permitted to take the body and blood of Jesus Christ because that necessitates a proper repentance of sins prior to receiving the Lord's Supper. Exactly. Well, there is also what they they call that, what, the greater ban, excommunication, and the lesser ban. Would you explain that? Yes, well said. The lesser ban is when a pastor would refuse communion. Let's say I have a member, he's a young man, and he's living with his girlfriend. I find out about that, I meet with him, and he tells me that he doesn't think that God is against living with people before marriage in order that you can test out whether the marriage will work. I explain to him that is contrary to God's word, and would he stop it and repent of it? And he refuses to do so. So I stop giving him the Lord's Supper. That's called the lesser band. Then I go to the elders and they start visiting him. It's not at all unusual. 
I had one woman who just left her husband and it took two years before the excommunication uh, took place. She still wasn't communing, but it took that long in talking with her until she made up her mind strongly that she was not going to repent of what she was doing. Uh, by the way, she left our congregation and joined another congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who began to commune her. I let the pastor know she was under excommunication, but this is when liberalism was really coming into the Missouri Synod, uh, particularly because of the teachings of the professors at Seminex, and they refused to stop communing her. So we took that incident to the convention of the Missouri District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and the congregation was told they either stopped communing her or they would be removed from the roster of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I attended the meeting where they voted to leave the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And there were a number of congregations that joined, which is now the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And this is just one example where they no longer follow the word of God. Well, I think, you know, which is a logical conclusion, which, which you've done and, and a correct one. But in the back of minds of, of people, they they just don't want to do church discipline because they see what their own sinfulness and who am I to judge? Yes. How many pastors have you and I run into where they won't even speak out against abortion or homosexuality in a sermon because they're afraid they're going to lose members or maybe even money? Yeah. I, I've seen a few, but uh, the group I run with here in Central Illinois will speak out against it. Yes. <laughs> now, Mark Smith, for example, he actually puts crosses when he was mm -hmm. pastor uh, on the front lawn, uh, indicating how many babies in the womb were murdered through abor abortion. And that was a very bold thing to do. He lives in Crestwood. And uh, his congregation was very much in support of that. But you're finding more and more congregations that they know of young people who are living together outside of marriage. Um, and there's even in some areas of the country, the elderly who have retired, they're living with other people who are elderly. And the reason they give is this, if they married them, one of them would lose their social security. Yes, I've seen that too. But I've also seen it the other way where, where an elderly couple says, we're, we know we're going to take a financial hit when we get married, but uh, we'd rather do, do it the way God intended it in, in the Holy Scriptures and for us to ignore it and go live in sin. See, that's where I think proper politicians should change that law. I don't know why somebody would lose their social security uh, just because of marriage. And uh, that would 
solve a lot of our problems. But once more, we're back to this idea of discipline. This is also happening in, in the country where the police are giving the impression that they dare not discipline anybody anymore. And, and therefore, uh, every time something happens, the police get blamed for it when their purpose is the first use of the law, namely to curb violence and wickedness. And by not doing the law properly, by not arresting individuals, by the courts letting them go with hardly any sentence, this is a way in which things get worse in the country. Now, at the same time, if you have police that are misusing the law, they should also be put under jurisdiction and such. But I don't know, I, I've had a number of police in my congregation and I never saw any of that happen. In fact, isn't one of the congregations um, you were serving and I did some sermons there that the chief of police of a certain town was a member? Oh, oh yes, yeah. Yeah, I always kidded with him and called him the the Andy of Mayberry because I I would ride along with him, and he would catch people doing things that were breaking the law, and he would sit down with them and explain to them what they're doing, and then gave them the option of taking it back uh, of the law that they were breaking, or be ticketed and put in jail. And, uh, and I, in that situation, the guy said, okay, I'll do what's the right thing. I asked him, did you ever have anybody not? And, and he said, no. He said, in our community, we know one another. We take time to talk to one another. And generally, right. generally they'll do it. Now, the second item I didn't know was in here is restoration to the Holy Christian Church. And it starts this way. The pastor stands where he gives the absolution. Beloved in the Lord Christ, our Lord says in the gospel, according to St. Luke, what man of you having a hundred sheep? And he talks about the lost sheep and Jesus the shepherd picking the lost sheep and returning home. And I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't think they need to repent. Because Tom, having been under excommunication for a time, has now by the grace of God come to repentance and has received the forgiveness of sins in the holy absolution, I joyfully announce that his excommunication is removed and that he is restored to the Holy Christian Church. He may once again share the Lord's Supper with us, serve as a sponsor at Holy Baptism, and engage in all the rites and privileges of the church. And then there is a prayer there, thanking the Lord for his repentance, which is then followed by the confession of sins on the part of the congregation and the absolution on the part of the congregation. Now you were telling me 
that you knew of an incident where that once happened, where a pastor had been falsely accused of something, and later on, forgiveness was given all around. Can you explain a little bit about that? Well, he'd been accused by a member of the congregation for for an open sin, and uh, it was just him and the individual, and they they, uh, took it to the elders. The elders said, what are we going to do? This is a prominent family of the church, and we'll severely lose our our offerings if we, if we lose it because it was a small parish. So and what happened the, at the uh, end here? We need to get going here. Well, the the end of it being, uh, he confronted the situation with the family and with the elders, and they said, "No, we committed a sin." And he said, "Okay." He said, "Since the whole congregation kind of got involved in this." taking sides, we'll do the general confession and take the absolution from the pastor and celebrate the Lord's Supper with one another. And that's what happened. And, you know, tears of joy just kind of entered into the whole congregation at that time. Yes, tears of joy because they have been reunited. Now, I learned something um, reading this uh, agenda because on the second page, it has a whole explanation of excommunication. And it said something that I was unaware of. Here's what Mm -hmm. it says. The person's repentance or promise to amend his or her sinful life does not restore him or her to participation in the life of the church. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought it did, but then what does restore him? Public forgiveness, public repentance. Is that what they're referring to? They're saying, no, that does not restore him. It's the second sentence, and I had never really thought of this. It is the spoken word of absolution Uh, flowing from Christ's death on the cross is the key that releases a person from the excommunication and the absolved and restored brother or sister together with all the members of the congregation will be exhorted to live with each other according to the admonition of the apostle paul mm. so that that's you know, kind of interesting you know luther makes that point in the large catechism under confession that uh, the absolution comes from the the word of a, of a person, but that word is the word of God. Yeah, that really is a law and gospel point of view, because if you said that his repentance restores him, that's a work that he is doing by the power of the Holy right. Spirit. Whereas when you say the absolution restores him, that's really important because the absolution may be spoken by the pastor, but he does it as the voice of Jesus Christ. Right, excellent point you're bringing out. And I I think it's, it rests there with, with the word of Christ or Christ himself. And there is a forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood for, 
for us on the cross. Yeah, one of the items they also talk about, which I did not do that much, was individual confession and absolution, where somebody would come in to confess your sins privately. I know some pastors who actually put their vestments on, they go into the church privately with the member and hear the confession and do the absolution. I rarely did that. It was often in the office talking to them. But did you ever follow that individual confession and absolution? Right, yeah. I've done it where we vested, did it privately with with family, and then uh, celebrated communion. So the point of today is a worship nightmare can occur when a pastor or elders refuse to discipline those who need discipline. Remember what discipline kind of comes from, the word disciple. And therefore, we don't treat our people as proper disciples. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the fact that we take time to keep them it was in the flock and at the foot of the cross where, where Christ is. And we hear, hear him say, Father, forgive them. Exactly. So that was our point today where there is something omitted in a worship service where it's necessary for discipline to take place. I'm Tom Baker, and you've been listening to me and Wes Reimnitz. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, we'll be... Oh, they've already started.